You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. thought the emotion said it all. Parking that car right on the yard of bricks. A celebration. Really like something we haven't seen. For a moment there, I thought he was going to go Elio 2.0, but Joseph Newgarden into the crowd. And um, Jake, to me, uh, that was maybe my favorite moment of a race that had quite everything in the final 15 laps. You know, I think we mentioned at times over the month with Newgarden, is it the best to never have won a major? Is it Peyton Manning in 06? Is it, you know, he, he's got to have this on the resume. And I think the move in front of you and then certainly the emotion there post-race, that to me tells the whole story. And Joseph Newgarden, he'll join us at 8.15 and we'll obviously ask him about it. But actions speak louder than words, and you could tell that was quite, quite the piano he got off his back with one hell of a pass there right in front of you. You know, I had made the mention, Kevin, after the broadcast yesterday, or or in the broadcast, I should say, but after the race, when Joseph Newgarden, who began his career, you know, coming actually to Indi- the Indianapolis area a lot to run go-karts, I remember the first time I heard his name, and... It was, Ar- it was actually Arnie Schrieben, who works for IndyCar, said, like, wait until you see this kid, Joseph Newgarden, that's going to be in Indy Lights this year. And I'm like, who is that? Like, Because usually you hear about guys as they come up. And he ran in Indy Lights, which for those that are unfamiliar, it's now known as Indy Next. And it's the final step in the ladder series in the road to Indy. And in the year that he was doing... Indy Lights, he only did it for one season. I was the the post-race interviewer for the broadcast of those races. And I feel like I like became buddies with him because I literally interviewed him like seven times or something because he won so many races. And I remember when he won the Freedom 100, which, by the way, he is the only driver to win the Freedom 100 and the Indianapolis 500. But I remember when he won the Freedom 100 and I said to him, you know it's not supposed to be easy here, right? And he laughed and said, like, yeah, well, you know, the car was great or whatever. And it's ironic because the Indy 500 was the one that eluded him. He wins it in his 12th start. I believe that ties Sam Hanks for the most starts. Hanks is either 12 or 13. But that was his white whale. That, That was the last thing left on the resume of Joseph Newgarden. And I hope, although I understand, and we'll talk to him coming up, by the way, in a little over an hour. I don't know, Kevin, whether or not, and I'll be curious your guys' perspective on this. Do you feel like there is a, an, I'm not going to say an asterisk, I can never say that word, to it, but is there pause to it because of the condition or the way in which he won the race? Yeah, obviously it's a huge storyline. Um, the amount of red flags, when the last one was thrown, Jake, I think you just inevitably have people ask the question, oh, who was in second place when the red flag was thrown and who owns the Indianapolis Motor Speedway? I mean, that is a question that I certainly heard post-race yesterday. But I would think, and I'm sure, and I don't know if this is maybe the most ringing endorsement, but I think for 80-90% of the people in attendance yesterday they wanted to see one more restart. That doesn't mean that it was necessarily by the letter of the law, and I think the rule book, and you can probably speak to it better, Jake, I think there's probably a whole lot of gray area when it comes to when to throw the red flag and when not to. So I don't know if you need to have you know, more crystal clear definitions on that, more black and white, but I think for 
where you're at as a series, the goal with this race, I think an entertainment value is what should be the ultimate decision maker. And if I was Marcus Erickson and Chip Ganassi, I'd probably think the exact opposite of that. So I could be totally wrong, and there's probably, again, a 10%, 20% section of diehard IndyCar fans that listen nonstop and watch every single race that say, Kevin, that is the dumbest comment in the world. Uh, Cold tires, all hell could have broken loose. Marcus Erickson should have won that race. But I think for the vast majority of people in the building yesterday... One more restart. Give your product that. Now have one of the more iconic moments, really, in, in Indy 500 history. I'm totally good with it. Well, the other thing, if you have a problem with the red flag, then, you know, need I remind you that the red flag prior to that, when Pato hit the wall... You know, there's there's some, and I will, not that anybody cares, and this is totally anecdotal to the race itself, but from a selfishly personal standpoint, when Pato hit the wall, I will admit and, and apologize to everybody that I think I completely butchered that call because Pato and Erickson were side by side going into the turn, and then I saw Pato spin and hit the wall and was so focused on the fact that here was a race contender that was knocked, and I thought probably the guy that was going right. to win the race. I would agree. That, that fell out of the race. And I, I was so focused on addressing the fact the caution was going to come out and that his day was done that all of a sudden I see two more cars get collected. And I'm like, holy cow, who is that? And I couldn't tell who it was, and I didn't want to misidentify them, but I didn't identify them. So I didn't say who the cars were. And so in in my capacity there, I, I failed people listening and apologize for that. But at that point, Kevin, Joseph Newgarden was in the lead. And that was an accident that would have been a five-lap caution flag. So if you don't red flag it right there, Joseph Newgarden wins the race. So by red flagging it right there, Joseph Newgarden's win would have been, quote, taken from him. You know what I mean? If, yeah. if, if he hadn't won. So then, so it kind of, what I'm getting at is the racing gods kind of balanced it out in the end. Um, and then the next red flag, Jake, you would have people upset that Erickson passed Newgarden right before the start-finish line, which technically he's allowed to do, but we would have been debating that today. Correct, correct. Should you be allowed to pass once the green flag comes out in turn four? I mean, now passes on restarts happen before the start-finish line. Right. The the, We would have been debating something else associated with the red flag. The one thing that I would say, I understand why this criticism is out there. And I don't think it's an entirely unfair one for a for a series whose fan base has pushed its chest out for a long time of not having contrived or orchestrated finishes, and for a series that did not typically see the red flag at the end of Indianapolis 500s to have it happen in back to back years, I can understand why it would give people pause that they are becoming too reliant on it. Yeah, and that's one way to look at it. And I, maybe I'm glass half full with it, but I would look at it the other way and go back and watch Marcus Erickson versus Pato Award last year and watch Erickson and Newgarden yesterday. And you've created some pretty darn iconic moments that I would think the common race fan looks at that or the common sports fan and said, 
Holy sh! Wow, that was awesome. Was that was to, look at that. Well, was, I mean, that it's was, a holiday. That was absolutely awesome. Obviously, it's time to get to on that front today. Kevin Bowen, Jake Query, and Mark Dykton. Uh, just us today from a local standpoint on these airwaves. Joseph Newgarden, eight fifteen. The president of Team Penske, Tim Sendrick. That's a Pike High School grad, right? Tim Sendrick. Uh, correct. Uh, he joins us at eight thirty. Mark Doug Bowles at some time. Yeah, yeah, I'm still trying to confirm. Okay, we'll have Doug Bowles at some point. Uh, before we get any further, as Jake said, it is a holiday. It is Memorial Day. Um, certainly the pre-race festivities, per usual, spoke for itself yesterday on that front. Um, so thank you to everybody out there that has made the ultimate sacrifice and for giving us the opportunity to attend yesterday's race, to do this show. Um, certainly we know that freedom is not free, so thinking about everybody here on Memorial Day from a veteran standpoint and those that have served in the military and that have lost their lives for us. I did think, Jake, probably the coolest part for me pre-race was the back home again Indiana flyover. Uh, I, I, at one point, and I'm sitting there like at the end of the straightaway into one, I thought one of those planes was going to hit the pagoda. It was so low. So low. Unbelievable. You got the three planes coming like oh, kind of yeah. from downtown. And I guess... What would you say? Kind of bisecting the track in two, if you will. We're used to the flyover just coming out of, what, turn four and right down the front straight. Correct. But now, I think it's a couple years in a row that they've done this, where they have done the back home again in Indiana, into the flyover. That was awesome. And I thought Jewel was very impressive for the national anthem. You know, people were critiquing Jewel in the anthem. I saw a lot of people that were like, this was a disgrace to the anthem because... Really? And I'm like, what? I Like... I thought she Francis nice Scott Key's rolling in his grave, and I'm like, I didn't. I thought it was really well done. Now, the only thing I will say to critique Jewel, I saw someone else point this out. I did not notice it as it happened. Aren't you supposed to take your hat off during the national anthem? Oh, did she have she have one of the big hats on? Now that I think about it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Please rise and remove your hats as we, yeah, you know. Who decides the red flag, Jake? Who's race, in that room? Race control. And those are you know, IndyCar employees, uh, yeah. what, a handful oh, yeah, yeah. of them, it's, and they it, all it, vote? I mean, I, I, Max Pappas, I believe, is a former asked, driver. I should have asked Dave first who the actual race control is. I think Lion Dyke may be in there, too. Um, but yes, that's who. So they sit in a room and they say what? That's a good question. I mean, I don't know, that, I don't know if there is a particular criteria. And should there be a criteria? Oh, I think there is. Um, it just seems like there's a whole lot of gray area in, in deciding, like, like, do we get that at Detroit this weekend, Jake? If a similar thing happens with one to go? Do we get that at, you know, insert race number six on the IndyCar schedule here? That's a good question. I mean, that's a really good question. I, I think... I mean, Marcus Erickson is pretty upset. We'll play the audio here in a little bit. Um, it seemed like kind of mixed from the drivers on whether or not it should have gone to a red flag there late. I think what Erickson was upset about was when they came out of the pits post-red flag, it was immediate to the green and felt like from a cold tire standpoint, that could have ended pretty poorly. Okay, who gets your award for... And by the way, we have the li- you know Newgarden was also the biggest mover. I right? know, yeah, he uh, he clipped Kyle Mylott by one, right? 
So yes, I, we've got Nick, and Nick takes home both of them. That's right. Two of the three, and then Catherine Leg first out. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, we gave away Catherine Leg on Carb Day, I think. Casey. Right. Casey. Now, Casey and Nick. Nick, you got two gift cards coming. You're going to be at Jay's Lobsters for the next year. So I always say this: Who is the driver? Remember, I told you on Carb Day there are always three categories. Somebody you think is going to be a contender and just it turns out their car just doesn't cooperate and they are chasing it all day. That would be who? You know, honestly, after the first stint, I was ready to say Scott Dixon. Yep. But in typical typical Dixon fashion, he gets it done. Uh, what about Will Power? He absolutely is one of them. Finished 23rd. Was running towards the front along with Newgarden. He and Newgarden got towards the front. Um, and I'd say the two old guys, Jake. I don't know if we heard their names at all. You talking about Castro Nevis and Kanan or Castro Nevis, Kanan, yep. and Marco? Uh, well, yeah, but I, and again, I don't know how much fanfare Marco had coming into Sunday. Kanan uh, and Castro Nevis, right? 15th and 16th? Yeah. Yeah, Kanan was running up there for a while, like in the 8 to 10 range, and all of a sudden he kind of slid. Um, all right, how Connor about Connor Daly was a quiet eighth finish. I didn't hear his name. Yeah, last year, he had six. Connor Daly continues to kind of build here. How about Devlin DeFrancesco? The Where did second, he end up? 13th. Yeah, I thought him and Eilat were probably the two, like, I mean, at one point, didn't it look like Eilat might not make the race? <laughs> yeah. Correct. I was thinking about this, too, watching... Was that the longest start to a race without longest start to no. a five hundred without a yellow? Twenty couple years ago, we won one hundred and fifty laps. One hundred and fifty, mm-hmm. and you could wow. thank Nick Yeoman. Uh, Nick Yeoman on the intercom asked that question, and then like twenty laps later, there was a caution. It's a ninety something yesterday. It's Lap ninety ish, like, uh, like you with rain. Hey, you, just, you don't mention it. How great was that weather? I mentioned it all last week. No issue whatsoever. I didn't feel a drop. The only drop you feel is from you know people sitting above you. The ice drops on top. So of how head. was your race day experience? It was great. It was you know it was the first time we sat in one. Um, so basically, you get a great view, Jake, of all of one into two. So we saw, you know, pretty much Rosenquist lose it, and then Kirkwood, um, you know, upside down. And I know it's cliche, and you hear it on every telecast. But Jake, it is still amazing how quickly that AMR safety team can get to these drivers. Oh, and yeah. They got to Kyle Kirkwood in twelve seconds, it seemed like. And of course, the bouncing tire. We'll talk to Doug Bulls about that here. Um, in between the suites and that turn two grandstand, is that right? So in the golf yep. course parking lot, and, and you know, and that could have been really horrific. The one, I, I, I mean, thank goodness it was there, right? The area, and it, it hit a light pole, and I think someone's car. Yeah, we'll and talk those to co- those tires car. are tethered. I mean, that, the the odds. I'm not listen. I'm not trying to carry water for IndyCar or whatever else, because it was a terribly frightening scene but the odds of that happening i i, I mean the, the tires are tethered so they're made to, to stay within the car obviously with a certain amount of force that's going to go out the window but i've you know i mean i've been to 38 indianapolis 500s i i have seen a tire go into the stands that would be into the stands once that was in 1987 i didn't see it but i mean i was at the race when that happened 
I've done 230 automobile races play by play, something like that, and and I've never seen that. I mean that that was like the flukiest of fluke. But thank goodness no one was hurt, obviously. Yeah, including the drivers and the spectators and the officials or whatever else. I mean that that was, you know, I don't know where the. I don't know what they end up doing with the tire. Does the guy get to keep the tire? I, you I, know. I thought I saw that uh, Doug Bowles got a ride home. See, but. imagine him going out like, what a race. What the hell happened to my car? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, you, we can laugh about it now, right? Sure. I mean, Rosenquist, I thought Jake had a great car for long, long stretches. He did, man. I, and then, you know, he goes out there. You know, the Pottle Award incident happens right in front of you. You know, when you watch that Pottle Award move, I know it's not the same part of the uh, racetrack, but it had a little bit of Takuma Sato, Dario Franchitti feel to it. You know, the guy making the pass on the inside, totally, kind of deep into a turn. Um, but it was a great race. I mean, again, weather was perfect. I, I, I really liked the vantage point from where we were sitting. You could see some pit action. So we, we had a pretty good view of VK into Polo. And by the way, another guy that I thought we're going to look back on in five years and be like, oh, Alex Polo got, what do you end up? Was a fourth? Yep. And, like, you forgot he got hit in... Yeah, he had to come back in and, like, get a new nose and the, the pits, whole deal. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, a hell of a ride for him, even though, you know, we're not going to look back on it and necessarily... Well, clearly he had a great it. car, right? I mean, to to do that. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it was great. How about you? I think it shows you, by the way, how long a 500-mile race is that you can have two guys that, that that happens to that both climb all the way back. Because, I mean, they were done at that point, right? right? Yeah. Um. I thought it would, a couple of things here. First, I'd like to know. You know how I, I am, Kevin. I like to do my surveys in the more, uh, when we do. Sure. The last holiday that we did a show, I can't remember when it was. But I think people know my cell phone number, right? Do a St. Patrick's Day show? <laughs> yeah, but I mean like a where we were the only ones in here. Five, my, my cell phone number, 523-9288. That's obviously a 317 area code. Five two three ninety two eighty eight. I want a roll call of people that are listening, because there was actually I was surprised there was a little bit of traffic coming into work, and I was surprised by that. I figured there would be nobody on the road, so I'd like to know if you're actually up and listening this morning, which we greatly appreciate if you are, um, and if you're working or if you just simply are up to listen to the post race analysis and coverage, which is go to get Gatorade because you're hungover. <laughs> that is also possible. I would think the um, podcast would be pretty popular today. Don't don't you think that? Yeah, that's probably a safer assumption. Um, so, my race experience on the day, I had, Kevin, an absolutely spectacular weekend with my friend Michael from Australia and his friends. It was like, I mean, they are they were just the most fun-loving, full of life. Those dudes are cool. Appreciative. They were so awesome. They made friends everywhere we went. They had so much fun. My mom went to the parade with us, and they they absolutely soaked in the parade. I was worried that they were going to think the parade, like, what are we doing here? They loved the parade. They had so much fun. They were taking pictures. They were clapping for everybody. They were cheering. You know, the the high school bands would come by, and they're standing up and cheering for them and, you know, telling them, great job. And Did they try to climb on the potato? They they were actually asking if the potato was real. Um, Will Power... And thank you to Christy, who delivered the Australian flag for them. And Christy, I went and picked up the Australian flag for them. And then they had it at the parade. And when Will Power came by, which was he was in the opposite lane of where we were sitting at the parade, 
Power saw the Australian flag and jumped off of his car while it was still moving and ran over and hugged them all and high-fived them. It was awesome. So yesterday, we did do a police escort, and I'm very, very grateful to Speedway Police and the IMPD for doing it. It makes things so much easier. But I will say, I've never had that happen before where you get the escort. And I mean, you know, beggars can't be choosers, right? But we got to 16th Street, and it gridlocked, and it took like 45 minutes to get in. And I've never had that happen, which is fine. I mean, don't get me wrong. But apparently 16th Street yesterday, somebody else, a a police officer told me, they go, 16th Street is the biggest mess I've ever seen. And I think it's because 30th is closed. So the, the which yeah, right way, there what, by Coffin Golf Course. Yeah, what way did you get in? We came in off tenth, um, yeah, tenth into uh, into Speedway, and it was. I guess if you're sitting in turn one, that's pretty good, right? Yeah, I, I mean, again, driving home, I thought was very similar to last year, and, and part of me sits there, Jake, and says, okay, I mean, it's the second biggest crowd in the last twenty five years. Should we just expect this? Like, I, I don't. I can pretend to be like, yeah, I'm going to sit in on these traffic meetings and I'm going to come up with a great idea. And all of a sudden they're going to look at Kevin Bowen and be like, why haven't we thought of that? You know, I know a lot of people are obviously frustrated by it. And we'll talk to Doug Bowles about that. I thought I didn't venture, you know, to concession stands. Obviously I had everything pretty much cooler wise, but I didn't think the bathroom lines and looking around, I didn't think the concession stands were too long of lines. And obviously turn one is a very populated area from a fan standpoint. So I thought outside of a little bit of traffic, which again, I mean, welcome to the, what, the second biggest city in the state of Indiana. Um, I didn't think it was too big of an issue. I want to thank, you know who you are. Those of you in the Northeast Vista, the one time that I had to sprint down to go use the restroom and the line was wrapped around the, the restroom building and the guys up front that immediately recognized what was going on. They carried like, you to the trough? Pretty much. I mean, they, they clear out and they're like, they, I mean, they get it, right? And they're like, they just clear out and they're like, go, just just go, just find a spot. And they, you know, they're kind of, it, then it becomes pressure packed to, you know, perform because they're. Easy now. Somebody yelling, do it! <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do it! <laughs> Mark Dighton, was this your first? This is my first. 500 experience? Yes. First carb day, first, first 500. That's... I loved it. I, I somehow, I, I, I'm assuming I had the luck of the draw. I somehow avoided traffic both in and out of the stadium. I got a... Uh, and walk us through times, because I, I think I, you were a little bit later than yeah, most. Yeah, I, I left my house at 1040, and I was walking into the track at 1120. That's pretty wild. And you live? In Brownsburg. And then I left, and, and granted, I did leave before the race ended. I left at lap, lap 118, which is before all the cautions and red flags pretty much came out. And I was home at my house listening on the radio at uh, 20 minutes later. You didn't shut these blinds. I'm sorry. I'm getting... Where's one of the guys from the trough that could have assisted you with that? <laughs> Joseph Newgarden led five laps. That is the third fewest of any winner in the history of the Indianapolis 500. Uh, can, I, can I guess one and two? Uh, I, I believe you're going to get this pretty easily, right? Dan Weldon. Is Jake clapping for himself? Joe Dawson. Is that uh, right? The first, yes, the first American since Alexander Rossi, of course, in 2016. 14 drivers led at least one lap yesterday. That ties uh, the second highest now, total. Now, both you guys with the Rossi pick yesterday. Uh, excuse me? Mm-hmm. You I'm, heard me. You heard me. Did you not look at the the fan website? Did I you see not? Alexander Rossi wins the 107. 
that was mm. taped on that was taped on Friday before Carb Day, right? I believe you said that you were going with Rossi, but just to be different from me, you went no. With that was New taped Garden. on Thursday before Carb Day, mm. correct? I don't know. Yes, it was. It was recorded Thursday before Carb Day, after Carb Day, and I said, did I not say on the radio on Carb Day? Look. I think Rossi's got a really good chance, but after seeing Carb Day and because Kevin picked Rossi, which I didn't think was a bad pick, I, w- I for the sake of having more than one offer for this show, I believe Newgarden is going to win the race. Did I not say that, Kevin? Uh, the audio does not lie. Right. So play the audio of me saying I that. I see Alexander or, Rossi wins the 100 Or how about when they asked <laughs> all of our predictions on Friday officially for the website, who did I say? Well, I, I was asked, and I said, Kevin and Jake both picked Rossi, so you must have said, hey, actually, I changed it to Joseph Newgarden. A third time in the history of the race, we had a pass for the lead on the final lap. Of course, Sam Hornish in 2006, and Dan Weldon there with J.R. Hildebrand. It was the fourth closest finish ever, 92-2014-2006. Jake, you think we pulled the 33 drivers? 82 is not up there. Uh, I believe 92, 2014, 2006. Those are the three yeah, that, okay. closer finishes. 0. 0.974. 0. 0.0974 uh, for the margin between Newgarden and Erickson. We pulled the 33 drivers. They say correct move with the red flag. How many say yes? Uh, okay. Are they being anonymously pulled? Sure. Thirty-two say no, because the, any of them is going to think to themselves, "What would happen?" Although I shouldn't say that; it depends on whether they think of themselves as being in Erickson or Newgarden's position. I think you had you you certainly had guys on both sides of the fence post race yesterday, but I think you even had like a Tony Kanaan mention. You know, there is an element of. You're trying to create the best finish as possible. And I also think this. You know, a lot of people, oh, you know, it's contrived. That was, you know, stupid. That, 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 you know, you're losing the integrity of the race, all of that. Jake, I also think there's an element of you've got to put yourself in a position to benefit like that. Joseph Newgarden, over the course of 490 some miles, put himself in a position correct to if a red flag was needed correct he would be in the mix and again i go back to kevin if the if the second to last red flag doesn't happen when Pato hits the wall if they finish in a, so people that are saying and i'm saying this to be devil's advocate to an extent but people that are saying well in the old days when somebody hits the wall sorry the caution comes out and you just finish under caution like dario did three times yeah canon 13 in that scenario joseph newgarden's your winner because when Pato hit the wall... That would have been very close to cleaning it up in time. What's that? That would have been very close to cleaning it up in yeah, time. Yeah, I don't think they would have gotten it done because, I mean, they had to... Because he had two other cars. Yeah, and they had to check the safer barrier and everything else. I, he would have won the race under caution. You're right. It probably would have been three or four, maybe a one-lap shootout, but it would have been real close. Again, you got to put yourself in that position to be able to even benefit from the good luck. And Joseph Newgarden, Santino Ferrucci... How about this, though? Very impressive for him in, in, in third place. I mean, those guys, obviously, over the course of 190-some laps, they did their job to try and have and a chance at the end. I know we're up against it on a break, but Mark, what the hell? It's a holiday, right? I mean, yeah, well, who, well, who, yeah, what is going on? So, how about this, Kevin? A few races does not a career make. I get that. You've seen the TV show The Wire, right? Yes. The thing that I thought was so brilliant about The Wire 
was each character, they had the season that was about the kids in the public schools. And then you realize that the main adult characters of the show, by the time the show is over, you can already see the pattern of which young character was going to grow up to basically become the the adult, you know, replace the changing of the guard with the adult characters. You have drivers in the Indianapolis 500 that are in the twilight of their career. Elio Castroneves, Tony Kanaan, Scott Dixon. I'm not saying those guys are all done right now, but they're towards the end of their career. And you can start to see who may be replacing them. Did Santino Ferrucci replace... Is he going to replace Castroneves as the young, excitable, fan favorite, everybody loves him, constantly fun, always in a good mood guy? Is... And is Marcus Eriks... Is, is Pata Award going to be the next Tony Kanaan? Knocks on the door, knocks on the door, loves the event, everybody wants to see him win and anticipates he's going to win and is in contention for like the first 10 years of his career and then finally breaks through? And is Marcus Erickson the next Scott Dixon? I don't mean in terms of totality of wins in the series, but at Indianapolis. Steady Eddie, not Mr. Excitement, but at the end of the race you go, holy cow, man, that guy's got a good car and he has just been hanging around and here he goes. And it's impressive. I mean, that guy yesterday at the end of the race, you could make the argument that Marcus Erickson, you know, I mean, he or Newgarden put themselves in position there where it's like, just hanging around, and then knew when to make the move. Again, Joseph Newgarden starting 13th, started thir- excuse me, 17th yesterday, 17th. He was the biggest mover. Uh, it's the furthest back anyone has started with a win since Ryan hunter Ray in 2014. Well, joining us now on the Payless Liquors Hotline, probably still, as a matter of fact, in a fascinating I think um, maybe a good karma. In December of 2021, Joseph Newgarden paid a visit to the Estes Dairy Farm. He met with Kerry Estes, who at that time was named as a rookie milk presenter for the Indianapolis 500-mile race. And then yesterday, Kerry handled him, handed him the bottle of milk and the weight of the world came off the shoulders of Joseph Newgarden. Joseph, congratulations. You did it. How cool is that? I, I saw Kerry there, and you know I've been to his farm. I met his family, and I I know exactly where that milk came from. So it was very cool. You know, it was a, a big deal to be a part of it. And you know, I, this this year more than ever, I've just felt the appreciation to to be in this race and and to have an opportunity to go for it. Um, and it was it was just amazing. The whole thing, you know, it really come full circle from my side. You know, coming up here when I was younger with my dad to to race go karts and you know trying to get into the sport and to be here today with everybody um, yesterday I should say with everybody was just it was really thrilling. You know, when you Joseph, it's interesting because and I had mentioned this earlier on the show. You know, I've I feel like I've known you since you were a kid, even though you were a young man, right? But you've but but from a racing standpoint, you're your evolution and your maturation as a driver. When you got out of the car, what I saw was a guy that not only was soaking in the fact that he had just won the biggest race in the world, but a guy that felt like 
finally he could look at the 335,000 people and say, I did it. I, I finally did it because everybody here had expected me, maybe even unfairly, to have done this by now. Is there an element of truth to that relief that overcame you? I think for sure, you know, to a degree that that's accurate. Um, you know, the, the Indy 500, I think, stands alone as as the hardest race in the world to win. I, I you know, I I definitely believe that, and it it is an amazing event. There's there's nothing like it. There's nothing that rivals it. It's you know the single, you know, it's the it's the greatest spectacle in racing for a reason. You know, the name is so fitting, and there's so much pressure to it. And I I don't I don't subscribe to you know, the 500 being a necessity to make a career. I think, I think most people do though. I think that's, you know, that is the pressure you feel when you're here that, that, that is, that is the requirement, you know, to have a complete career. And, you know, I think about all the people that probably either should have or could have won the race. And, you know, it's, it's just not easy. It's it isn't, it, this place doesn't give anything to anybody. It doesn't owe anybody anything, you know, it, it, it they don't just get handed out. You got to go earn it. And, you know, sometimes it can be the cruelest place in the world, but it, it is, it's an incredible honor to be able to win the race and to secure victory here. And, you know, for me, it, it, it has definitely lifted a weight, you know, whether that weight should be there or not is a different discussion, but there's a weight to it. And it, it was lifted yesterday. It, I feel different <laughs> and, uh, and maybe not for the reasons that everyone would think. Joseph, congratulations. Um, it was an unbelievable finish, of course. I thought the celebration was maybe more incredible than what you did on the final lap. How spontaneous was the celebration? Did you know there was a gap in the fence there that all of a sudden you got to people that have been slamming beers all day? <laughs> I've been wanting to do that for years. I, 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 no one, I've not told. There's about one person in the world that, that knew that I wanted to do that. I've been wanting to for yeah, ever since I was a rookie here in, in 2012, I thought it would just be incredible to to go into the energy of this crowd. There's nothing like the Indy 500 crowd. It's just a it's a magical place, as as we all know, and um, it's really uh, it's something to behold in person. And you know, I, I said if I if I'm lucky enough to win this race, that's what I'm doing. I want to I want to go into the crowd. I knew exactly where that location was. I've been scouting that for years, and uh, I, I couldn't wait to get down there. I was, I was. Everyone went quiet on the radio, which was funny. I, I was on the the cool down lap, and I was freaking out, and I was trying to message the team and tell them where I was going, and just I had no response. Everyone was gone. So, I, you know, obviously I thought that was probably a good thing, but it was just, it was funny that no one was responding to me after the race. Could you walk us through your emotion sitting there on pit lane before, I guess, the final red flag and the line that you ended up taking on lap 200? How did that play out from your vantage point and passing Marcus there on the backstretch? Yeah, you know, really, this race could have unfolded probably Ten different ways. I'm, I'm sure more. Uh, it, you know, you just don't know what's going to happen. I mean, I, we didn't predict three red flags. You know, we didn't even predict the first red flag. You know, if we could have, we we would have gone green to the finish um, before that. That you know, before the first red flag, then you know, we were sitting in a good spot. Um, the second red flag was a bit awkward, and then the last one, as you said, it was just it was a single lap, and I knew that. You know, this this was what it was all going to be right here, and we had to put it on the line. And 
you know, we were in a good spot. We really were. We were, we were where we needed to be first or second is, you know, where you, where you wanted to be positioned there at the end. Um, with 10 to go, maybe, maybe you could have still been third, but when it really got down to it, you needed to be first or second. And, you know, I didn't have anything planned. I just knew I needed to get to the lead as quickly as I could. And I didn't, I didn't get him on the front straight. He actually got a really good jump. And I think that worked to my advantage. And obviously you saw the snaking that's been happening here. I guess people are calling it the dragon. Um, but you know, the, you know, the, the weave that has to happen to try and break the draft is just really necessary because it's so much easier to, to tow up to a car than what it's been in years past. And so Marcus was trying to break the toe and, you know, we had an amazing runoff too. And I thought, I thought we'd probably be pretty good to the line, but he had a great run back at me coming off turn four. So I, I just had to be as aggressive as possible. I just, you know, I wasn't going to give this one up. I mean, we were in position for it. And so I was going to be as aggressive as I could off the four. That's what you saw me do. Joseph, I'm sure you know, Joseph Newgarden is our guest, the winner of the 107th Indy 500 on the Payless Sickers Hotline. Uh, obviously, there has been critique certainly from marcus erickson i mean understandably about the decision to red flag it at the end it worked out for you i thought personally the racing gods kind of balanced out because i thought when Pato hit the wall my first thought was newgarden just won the race because it's going to go to caution here for the last five laps or whatever it was and they red flagged that and then of course you get another one in there but can you uh, and i know it worked out for you rightly so but can you can you understand or speak to the criticism that people have of doing the red flag when there's only one lap left? Yeah, look, I'm I'm just going to tell you. I think they they did the right thing to throw another red. You know, I mean, where does it stop? You know, that would be my question. Why did to your point, Jake? Why did we even? You know, then you'd go back and say, well, why did we even throw the first one? And I I really I get the effort these days to give us a good show to the finish. I think actually the second red flag. You know, if we, if we didn't get that one, that would have been the most most shamed to, to finish under. It was such an awkward restart. You know, we had we didn't even get a restart, and then it went red. And, and if the race ended on that one, I think that would have been more silly. So I, I, I thought it was great that they had a final lap shootout. I've got no problem with it. You know, obviously, it worked out great for us, so we're all happy. I mean, everybody else is leaving with a broken heart, except for one team. And But that's Indianapolis, and it's, that's... I'm, I've lived that life 11 years before this, um, but I have no problem with it. You know, I, I've, if anything, I think about the numerous races. I mean, I, there's way more than a handful uh, amount of races where things, you know, I said, I wish that was different, you know, or, or I felt like we didn't get luck or, or whatever you want to call it. And I don't think we got lucky yesterday by any means, but you know what? We didn't get any bad luck. We had no bad luck yesterday. And uh, that was, that was just, that was big for us to secure the win was to not have anything go against us. So I was, I was really thankful they did what they did. I, I'm, I'm glad the crowd got a great final lap. You know, we, we, we raced to the line and not, not that there's anything wrong with winning under yellow. I've, I've won races under yellow. And I'd be happy to win here in that situation if that's what it would be, but it's definitely a little more special to win under green. Joseph, I'd said this earlier and I'm, it's probably overly Freudian of me, but I'm curious your thought on this or if you've stopped to think of in this term. When you were a young guy in the series, a rookie, I remember when you started in the front row in Long Beach and they had you doing videos, going around interviewing people, and you literally, Joseph Newgarden was the guy that IndyCar knew, IndyCar radio knew, television knew, that if you needed a soundbite, if you needed a, a, a quip, if you needed 
any accommodation, Joseph Newgarden was the guy that was going to do it. You were always accommodating. You were always gregarious. You told me that you were an introvert, which I found fascinating. But I think that you were always, and I, I always respected this, but I think it was really important to you to deliver to as many people as you could and do what was asked of you. And then I think your career really came to form when you finally decided that you had to focus actually on what Joseph Newgarden needed as opposed to what everyone else did, which was perfectly within your right. And I think that that's when everything came together for you and you finally got your white whale at Indy. Am I overthinking it or do you think there's some truth to that? No, it's probably, you know, um, it's very nice of you, Jake. You know, you've, you've been so kind to me as, as many have in, in our sport. Um, but that's probably true to some degree. You know, I, I tried to go over the top more often than not to, to do everything possible. You know, I, I felt the pressure early in my career. I mean, I don't know how you can't, you know, that, that, I mean, I wasn't, I was not here on some check, you know, it was, it was, I got an opportunity to, you know, drive Indy cars when I was 20 years old and, and, um, you know, you either keep getting that opportunity and you stick around or you don't and you get fired and you know that that's that's the end of the career so i just wanted to do everything i could to to you know to stay here and to to keep getting an opportunity and you know there's a point where that shifts and you you build some confidence and i think you build some credit up and you know people want to give you that chance more and more um but it's it's hard you know i, I am an introvert and to you know, to try and, and please everybody is very difficult. And even in our sport, it's difficult in any sport, and I think any facet of life, but it's very difficult in motorsports with all the demands, and, you know, the, just the the fans, the partners, everything that we have. And I tried to do that, but there was a shift where I, I, I had to, I just had to pull back from it. And I'm like, you know what, I'm just not going to, I'm not going to please everybody and not everybody's going to like me. And that's, that's okay. You know, we just got to kind of focus on the career side of it and, and you know, what I really want to achieve because it's, it is so important to me. I love racing more than anything. I'm, I'm very, very competitive. So there was a shift, but I, I still try and do as much as I can. You know, it's just, it got to a point where you're, you're just not going to please everybody. Joseph, last one from me. Um, how was the party last night? Uh, it was good. You know, it was great to be with the team. Tim Sindrick, our president, um, definitely sorted out a great time which was awesome he's you know he's he's a hoosier he he knows all about this race he's been growing up here as a kid and so um it was cool to win one with him you know i i just was like you know you start to it starts to wane on wane a little bit after being here for i guess what i don't even know what this is it's either my seventh or eighth year at penske and you know it's not i i started looking at my bosses with you know, feeling like I was a disappointment that we hadn't won it together. And so, you know, for Tim to, you know, be there last night and the whole team, it just, it really, it was really special. It was just special to be a part of it. And it's, you know, it's not easy as you guys know. And I just, it, yeah, it was, it was fun. It was just fun to, to have that moment with everybody that really made it happen. It is a team sport, no doubt. I mean, look, it's not just about driving the car well. Everything's got to go perfectly. You got to have just a rock star crew around you, and, and they're the ones that get it here um, to race day, and, and they're the ones that that really push it over the line. So it was just it, it was special to have that camaraderie last night. You know, it's it's like a feeling in a club that you know we were all in together. That you just you don't you don't realize until you actually do it. 
All told, in the record books, Joseph, it will go down as a win that took two hours, 58 minutes, and 21 seconds. That is more or less than the amount of sleep you got. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's a close. That's a close over-under. I think think it's slightly more, unfortunately. Not good. Well, I'll tell you what. It was (laughs) well-deserved. It was well-deserved, and milk does a body good when you got to replenish sometime tomorrow. But... Congratulations. I, I, I speak, Joseph, for a lot of people that have seen it from the beginning of your career, um, just to see the overall joy and the release, the relief, if you will, for you. It was well-deserved, and it's not my job to root for people, but I was happy for you because I know what it meant. So congratulations and enjoy all that comes with it. Well, thank you, guys. Thanks for all the amazing coverage as well. You know, Just an awesome month. So looking forward to the next one. Joining us now on the Payless Stickers Hotline, the other guy that you just heard him mention, who not only is a graduate of Pike High School and is the president of Let's go Red Devils. Team Penske, that's right, but also a new member of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Hall of Fame. And Tim Sendrick, I'll begin with this. I found it fascinating, and I think it speaks to your team, that you said yesterday that you started to feel bad for Roger Penske that it had been you know, a whopping four years since the team had won the Indianapolis 500, the 19th now for the team in general. I'm not going to ask you if that was the most satisfying of them all, but it was probably one of the harder earned of them all. Safe to say? Yeah, without without a doubt. Without a doubt. Let's, let's begin with this. Um, you know, as a strategist, when you're sitting there and you're trying to, to kind of figure out the way a race is going to fall, I guess a two-part question in the, in terms of that two-car for Joseph Newgarden. I saw him in carb day and thought to myself, that car looks really good in traffic. And as a result of that, I, I thought Newgarden had a really good chance. But, but at what point in the race did you start to realize that, in fact, that car was going to be able to get up where you needed to be when you needed to be there? Actually, it was the first stint. Um, my, my biggest concern was how the first stint was going to go because actually on carb day, um, when the track was green there, uh, the first stint that we did, um, we tried to do a full tank run on carb day, and the car created a lot of vibrations and, and went really loose, and we would have had to pit probably halfway through, probably lap 15 or so, which I think is exactly what you saw play out with Scott Dixon in the race yesterday. And, you know, the fact that we could go from – starting 17th to, I don't know, we were 8th or ninth or something when we came in for our first pit stop. At that point, I told him we were way ahead of schedule. Um, from that point on, I knew once we got in that top 6 or 7 and he could actually smell the front, that then his confidence level changes completely and, and uh, you know, really made a good day of it, obviously, from that point on. Tim, what was your message to Joseph when you got word that there'd be one more final red flag? That was it. Was as simple as that. We're going to get one one lap to figure this out, you know. Um, you know, during the red flags and all that, because of you know the radios are public and that type of thing, and you don't you didn't probably hear a lot from us, um, you know, in terms of you know what we're thinking and, and what information we can give him. You know, most of that under red flag, we're we're able to really relay to him, you know, through the chief mechanic that's actually at the car. So, you know, we're we're talking to him in a different channel so that he he can then relay to, to Joseph kind of what we're thinking and what we see and, and understand for the restart. So, um, yeah, it was really all on him. And I, I knew, 
I knew we'd had a conversation earlier in the week, and he said, if it comes down to it, I know what I'm going to do. <laughs> and it was as simple as that. And I said, that's all I need to know. Were you surprised the red flag was thrown there one one final time? No, no, especially with the way the, the caution occurred the, the time before. Because I, I think when you when you look back at it, had it not been thrown and at that point in time, you wouldn't know where anybody was or who the winner was. And I'm not sure how 300,000 people are going to react to, hey, let's have a video review to figure out who won this race under caution. That's a fair point. And there was a little bit of kind of a chaos there, right, Tim? Of like, wait a minute, like, where does everybody slot, et cetera? I'm curious well, from well, your standpoint. Yeah. Um, no, well, he, he, came, he came down the final restart, or that restart. You know, he was a leader, which you, you knew wasn't going to hold. Um, but then it was a matter of, well, who is the leader and how did it all sort out? And, you know, going into turn one, everybody passed, well, a couple of cars passed him and he's sitting there P4 in line, which, you know, I knew wasn't right. I knew he was either first or second when the yellow came out, just watching it. And, you know, they've got to sort that out and sort a few other places out. But the time that it took them to sort that out, when there was no action on the racetrack, everything was at a pause, um, that would have been the time that we would have all had to wait <laughs> under caution to understand who the winner was and what the lineup was, and it was going to be under caution after having all those fans wait for two other red flags. So, no, I, I wasn't surprised because that, that was going to have to be the way it was. Are you guys told – Tim Sendrick is our guest from Team Penske. He's on the Payless Sugars hotline. Are you guys as, as you know team directors, team presidents, drivers, whatever it may be, is there a definitive like rule book that you know going into it of what defines what would constitute a red flag within the last like let's say five or ten laps of a race? You know, if they does that make sense what I'm asking, I guess. I mean, do you know pretty definitively this is going to be red because we talked about it before the race? Well, not I think it's it's very uh, I guess open to the the point where if there's a, a possibility for us to go red flag and finish the race under green, we will, and we'll abandon all procedures at that point in time. Gotcha. So, I mean, that, that's as clear. I mean, it basically says, hey, we're going to do whatever we can to give them a green flag finish. And unlike NASCAR, you know, we're not going to go to a green-white checkered and overtime and that type of thing. We're going to finish it at, you know, it's going to be a 500-mile race. And, you know, you can be on both ends of that. I I I've been on both ends of that as well, and, and it's, it is it is what it is. And, you know, I, I think it's no different than when you watch a NASCAR race and green-white checkers and all that happen. And, you know, the, the one that had the race in the bag or, or was in a better position, um, you know, sometimes isn't the one that's in the best position at the red flag situation. So, um, yeah, it is what it is. You know, I, I don't think the fans would complain about how it all turned out regardless of who they wanted to win. You know, seeing Indy finish under yellow, which we've, we've seen – many times is, is a difficult thing. And, you know, that, that race could have finished under yellow as well. You know, we could have wrecked on the front straightaway just like the previous restart, and we would have had a different winner. Tim, so, uh, the reality is that there was a time that you were a kid at Pike High School who presumably maybe plotted with the now governor of Indiana, Eric Holcomb, a day that you could cut out early to go watch practice at IMS. And here it is now, you're the president of a team for the guy that owns the Speedway who just won the 19th team Indianapolis 500. 
you're immortalized inside the museum that sits inside the facility as part of the Hall of Fame. With all of that, is there still that little part of you that's the kid from Pike Township that gets that same giddiness when he comes out of the tunnel? Or has it become a robotic and constant vision of victory and that's it? Or are you allowed to truly feel everything that that you're able to do? Oh, it, it, it never gets old. You know, I have to, I don't know, it's, it's pretty surreal in some ways, you know, when you look at all the things you said in, in addition to, you know, my relationship with, with the governor, um, still hard to call him the governor, but anyway, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, there's a guy that I went to spring break with, you know, throughout high school and, you know, played in the backyard. And as he said, you know, rode our bicycles, traded baseball cards. I mean, just you name it, you know, the, the two of us, you know, we're same age, same neighborhood. And, you know, that's when you drank out of a hose, right? <laughs> um, but, and no, but the, I don't know, for me, kind of, I couldn't have written a, I guess a, a better script for, you know, how my my life from a per, professional and personal perspective has, has really panned out. And, you know, we had the chance when Simon Pagano won Indy and we are invited to the White House and, you know, he and I were standing there in the Oval Office with President Trump looking at each other going, what the hell are we doing here? <laughs> Um, no, it's it's pretty surreal, really. Tim, we just had Joseph Newgarden on with us, and I thought he was extremely candid in mentioning, you know, I, I, I'm sure he had these conversations with you of there were times, given Team Penske's rich history, that he felt like a disappointment, that he hadn't gotten it done at the 500. And he watches Will Power in 2018. He watches Pagano, like you just said, the following year. When Joseph had those conversations with you, what was kind of your reaction? And could you describe maybe how Joseph you know, was in those moments of saying, boy, I, I've done so much, but this is the one that's missing. It really was to try and turn his head around to, to the positives because you watch him go to any other oval that we go to, right? I mean, he dominates Iowa, Texas, Gateway, all these places. And, you know, fear isn't a factor. There's some drivers there that India is intimidating, you know, from a risk and reward perspective. But he's not one that lives that way. So you know that's not it. Where with some of these guys, you know that's in the back of their mind at times. And, you know, you, you don't know until you know whether they're going to put it on the line or not. And, you know, I knew yesterday, once he sniffed the front, I knew it was going to be checkers or records for him. Um, you know, he, he was not going to let that opportunity get away, you know, without giving it absolutely everything. And, Thankfully, it didn't come to that, but that's where he was after the race. He told me that he said, "I there was no way I wasn't coming back with this check without this checkered flag. Um, if if I came back, it was going to be on a record." Um, so now I we've always had the full confidence in him, and it really it was a matter of him keeping that confidence. And you know, you can talk about physics and and race setups and all that other stuff. And we had a great car; you have to have that, but. Really, this place is about getting drivers like him the confidence that they can do it. And, you know, he he had that. You know, I, I could tell race morning that he was in a, a mindset of calmness. And, you know, he, he knows what's on the line. You don't have to put any pressure on him. He, he puts more on himself, really. Tim, my last question for you would be this. 
When you go back to when Joseph, you know, it seemed like just an inevitable fate that Joseph Newgarden was going to end up with Team Penske and that when he did, he would win the Indy 500. But when you go back to when he was a first coming through the ranks, whether it be in the then Indy Lights, which is now Indy Next, or when he was driving for Sarah Fisher and then Ed Carpenter and that combined team and then Ed Carpenter Racing. But before you signed him, can you recall for me the moment was there a moment where you saw Joseph Newgarden race as a young racer before he was an employee of yours and said, that's the guy we need to get. That guy's different. When he got upside down at Texas and got out of that thing and, you know, was racing the next week. It, I think it was, I think it was Elkhart Lake or whatever with a, the broken, the broken wrist. Yeah. Um, I think I have that right. But, after he got upside down at Texas and the way he came back after that, his mindset, you knew this, this, this guy was different because you don't get in that kind of accident and, you know, take the approach he took, you know, to get to the next step and what drove him, you know, to figure out how to stay in the car, how to succeed and, and what he went through to do that without being special was there concern that indianapolis was going to be the one mental obstacle for him that he would not be able to to shake until you do it i think it's always a concern but uh that that doesn't mean you don't have the confidence that it can get done right i mean I, i think that there's a difference there and you know without a doubt you know from internally it was really a a matter of all of us you know being sure he understood that hey this wasn't this was about us being sure we gave him what he needed to win the race tim last one for me what were you thinking when you saw joseph park that car in the yard of bricks and all of a sudden he's venturing through gates and fences i didn't even know it was possible to get to the crowd at ims you know i learned something yesterday because i uh i You know, obviously, I was there when when Elliot was the first one to stop on the front straightaway and climb the fence. And so, you know, for me, I I walked there and I I got to the fence and the guys were on the fence. And I like trying to find the driver. Right, he's the one with the helmet on, I think. And I I don't see the driver. And then I see him on the other side of the fence. And then I'm like, well, how did he get there? I never saw him go under the excuse me under the fence. So. It, it it took a little bit for me to understand really what was going on there. <laughs> pretty cool moment. His it was emotion pretty cool. Certainly uh, told the full story there. Tim, congrats. I know these don't, you know, you obviously have, this is not your first time, but I'm sure it doesn't get old, and especially watching Joseph get that kind of off his back. Had to be pretty, pretty special. So congrats. Enjoy the celebration as you obviously will shift to Detroit at some point this week. But enjoy it, Tim. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, you have heard him on with us all month long here on Mondays in May. He is Doug Bowles, the president of the Speedway. Doug, first off, thank you for for joining us here um, each and every Monday. I think it's been great previews and, of course, I guess a little bit of a review here on this Monday. Uh, What's the early 18-hour debrief been from you and your crew out there? No, I, and first of all, I mean, we just thank you for having me on, and thanks for continuing to talk about the speedway that you guys do. But um, I don't know that the early debrief was the crowd was unbelievable. I think that was the biggest takeaway: just how many people really showed up, and 
the energy level in the venue yesterday was just unlike anything I've ever seen. I've been this is my forty seventh race in a row, and and just to see how everybody uh, was so fired up, and I still every year get astounded that that there's not a sound in the place when taps is being played. It's just crazy, and um, you know I think generally. Yeah, you know, I think we feel we feel like it executed better than last year. We still obviously have traffic things. We had an accident at Carpenter Road, four sixty-five in the morning, which you know you can't do anything about that. But that kind of begins the you know the challenge of then trying to get everybody in and out. But um, just felt like we executed a little bit better this year, so that was good. Even on the concession side, it felt like it was a little better. Still have some work to do, but um, and then the racing was. You know, the place just never never ceases to amaze the way that it decides how to have finishes. What were the final grandstand and maybe overall attendance numbers? I don't know exactly yet, but it's three hundred thirty thousand ish. So it was a it was a it's a really good crowd. A third of a million people, a third of a million people inside this venue yesterday. It's crazy. You know, it's funny, Doug, and and I'm not. The reality is this: when you have that many people, let's be real here, it is impossible literally impossible is it not to accommodate a smooth exit for all 330,000 I, I mean that's just the reality is it not well yeah I mean and I, you know, I say that all the time when, when everybody 330,000 people want to leave at the exact same time and there's essentially you know just a couple roads really that get out and you're ultimately you're funneling down into just one or two easy ways to get on the interstate it's it's going to happen and and uh you know, I, I would I would challenge other communities to be able to get people out as quickly as 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 we do. I think our team our team our law enforcement do a great job of getting folks out. It's just you're right. It's hard to do when you have that many people. Doug Doug Bowles is our guest, the president of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Um, let's begin with this. Then, <clears throat> aside from that, and I agree. I, I thought yesterday was. I mean. I think it might have been more crowded to me to the eye than 2016. I know it wasn't, but it felt that way. I mean, I just was astounded at the sheer volume of it. But what areas, if you really nitpick it, what areas, what what did you walk away with concern of? I mean, other than the, the, the parking I get, but what are there areas yesterday that you thought these are still areas where we can learn? Well, I, I still, like I said, I think we were better in concessions, but I still think we can, we can continue to get... Uh, to get better on that piece for sure. So that's that's one that you know that we just continue to focus on and try and try and make that better. I felt like our you know our open gate system where people walk through um, the metal detectors, which are called open gates. Uh, I think that went pretty well. I think there's a couple things we could tweak to make that um, even smoother. So, but but at the end of the day, I thought that was one of the one of the best things we've done in a while is to allow people to get in, be able to go through a metal detector, hold, keeping their coolers. So we want to continue to figure out how to refine that and make that work and make it simple for folks, but also know that we're keeping everybody as, as safe as we can. Uh, so that was definitely one. And, you know, and then with an outdoor venue, you know, like like we start we start getting reports of bees at some point during the race. I mean, those are the kind of things that that you know you're going to have weird things come up, and that certainly was one of the strange things that happened yesterday. We had a little bit of a water pressure issue yesterday um, for about 45 minutes that, that created some uh, issues in restrooms, and, and that turned out that it was an external water pressure problem that was just impacting the speedway. Uh, it may have been impacting others in the area, but, um, you know, I, I feel like we this is one of the, the better years, I think, that we've had, and obviously there's always things to learn and get better with.
Again, Doug Bowles with us, the president of the Speedway. Doug, as best you can, kind of walk us through the Kyle Kirkwood accident, the bouncing tire, and what transpired from there. You know, I don't know. I don't know that I honestly I haven't watched the accident enough to walk you through the accident itself. Jake's probably seen it more than I have. Um, yeah, I was actually um, standing on the second floor of the pagoda when the accident happened and didn't really pay a lot of attention to it watching it. And then somebody says, Hey, what, there's a tire off. And then we, and so I, and, and I asked the question if anybody would seen where it went and nobody really knew. So I, I went into race control and, and watched it on race control. And it was clear that the tire left, uh, left the racetrack. So I got on a golf cart with Tyrone Garrison, who's our head of facilities and uh, a couple of state troopers and, a, and another guy with me. And we got in the golf cart flew through the golf course and went out, out back there. And, and honestly, I didn't know what we were going to find, but I wanted to be there uh, to make sure if there were issues we were handling it. And we were really blessed to, you know, just have that tire land on a car and then go straight up in the air and hit basically hit a, hit a light pole as it went straight up in the air in the, in the infield or, and it just pushed it right back down to the ground. And so the good news is nobody was hurt. And we, and uh, we had the, the gal who weird, weird part about it, the gal who was working, whose car it was, her name's Robin was actually working for my wife. So um, that was really kind of bizarre. And, and uh, we spent a lot of time with Robin last night, getting her on the yard bricks and having, having some fun with her. And uh, she's going to, she's going to, she's going to end up getting a new car. Um, but uh, you know, the biggest thing I think we just need is a series. Uh, the series just needs to sit down and understand how that came off. You know, Jake's been around long enough to know those tethers on those cars are really important and really effective. So it's odd that it came off. So we just need to figure out exactly what that is so that we can make sure it doesn't happen in the future. You know, Doug, it's interesting how the racing gods work, if you will, because it could have been tragic. We know that. I think everybody knows that. We can't hide from that. That's the one area of the racetrack where you have that gap, right? And in turn two, the wind gets tricky for the drivers because there's the, the the grandstand between the grandstand and the suites. And thank goodness that's where that tire went. But I agree. I mean, I, I said earlier, I, I've been to 38 Indy 500s. I know that sadly that is we have had two times in the history of 107 runnings where – you know, one of them wasn't even a spectator. I mean, a tire went outside the venue yeah. altogether. Yeah. Um, and that was, you know, 80 years ago. But does it, does it lead to exploration of any sort of revision of, like, the, the fencing or whatever else? Or is it just kind of one of those fluke things that, to be honest with you, it, it comes down to, to, work, to examining the tethering? Because I know with every accident, safety is then studied uh, and becomes paramount. Yeah, I think it's a little of both. I mean, I think the place where, you know, obviously the, the IndyCar folks will take a look at, you know, what caused that, that wheel and tire, and it's actually a wheel and tire, and the half shaft was still uh, connected to it. They were, you know, all in one piece. What caused that to happen? Um, and then uh, for us, just understanding, looking at the video and figuring out if, you know, would, it, would a higher fence, a reasonably higher fence, um, helped it i mean if if i don't I, I haven't seen it enough to know actually how high it was when it when it cleared the when it cleared the fence um and then we'll just figure it out but i absolutely we, we got to look at both and figure out how to continue to evolve and be safer doug you have 33 competitors in that race all 33 would if they were to win make a deserved champion obviously it is the you know it's the greatest race in the world that said 
it is not your job nor mine to play favorites by any stretch of the imagination, nor am I asking you to. Maybe a but Connor I'm, Daly favorite would well, be. Well, yeah, Connor Daly probably, would yes, would be that. a favorite. That would be acceptable, Doug. But Joseph yeah, Newgarden will be a great champion. Would you agree? He will make a great champion and ambassador for the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. No, I 100% agree with that. I think that's 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 a really accurate statement. And I think, uh, you know, you saw the crowd's reaction uh, when he won. I mean, it was an um, amazing crowd reaction. And then my biggest thing is, uh, as the, the promoter, you know, the president of the Speedway is whoever wins that race, I want them to embrace uh, the experience and I want them to celebrate it in a way that uh, is fitting of how great this race is. And uh, I think the way he got in the grandstands and, and celebrated, and you could just hear the emotion in his voice. And, you know, I've been fortunate enough to know Joseph from a young age when he was racing go-karts with Connor, and um, they were running their Subarus together in the backyard and going out drifting in the snow and, you know, all those different things. So the two of them, Connor and Joseph, both are really close and, and um, just really cool for Joseph because I know that, you know, the longer you go in your career and you don't win the Indy 500, especially when you're driving for Penske, you begin to wonder, am I ever going to win the Indianapolis 500? Am I, I going to be the next Lloyd Ruby or, you know, pick some of those guys from our history that were really, really good, Michael Andretti, guys that were really good and probably deserved to win the Indy 500 but never got to. Um, and it's, um, you know, I think for him, he, he knows that and it's probably a big relief and, and clearly he, he's going to help celebrate it. Doug, I've got two before we let you go. And again, thank you so much for your time throughout the, this month. Um, the first one comes, I guess, a little bit late Friday night. It was a popular question I was getting from from fans. What happened with the Shaquille O'Neal uh, snake pit situation? Because, uh, you know, I think at the start of the playoffs, Eastern Conference Finals going six games probably wouldn't have been the most shocking thing. So w- what was the issue there on him not showing up? So Friday morning, we got a message from his agent that said hey we've got this game now on saturday night and we think after the it's a late it's a late game there's an hour post show and then for him to get ready he's maybe on a plane by one thirty or 2 and then you got a couple hours to indy he's in indy call at three thirty. so they were just kind of walking through with the challenges and then to be up and ready at nine and and so when that but he they didn't say that they weren't doing it they just were sort of it was kind of weird so we began first thing Friday morning, figuring out okay if he if he ends up not coming, what are we going to do? So we started spent a little bit of time Friday trying to chase down acts that were uh, that were available and willing to come. And the guy that helps us with our our music production actually does all of Dead Mouse's stuff. So we talked about getting Joel, or getting his name's Joel, but getting Dead Mouse, um, getting Dead Mouse to the racetrack, and he was going to be in Detroit, but he wasn't getting done with the show until three thirty in the morning, on, you know, Saturday night, Sunday morning. And then, so we just started looking around, and then about I don't know, must have been three or three thirty. About the time the concerts were beginning, um, Shaq's team said he just doesn't feel like he can do it. It's just going to be too late for him. So that's really how it happened. And then we ended up settling on Valentino Khan last minute, literally. And honestly, I literally just sent them the contract this morning. That's how late it was. I mean, it was just a handshake deal, um, and the con got the contract just was sent over to him about an hour ago. So. Um, yeah, we were disappointed, and you're right. I mean, obviously, you, they knew coming in that they were going to do, um, you know, that they they were going to have music. Actually, we'd asked we'd asked Shaq to play driver intro um, because we thought that'd be really cool, and he was really interested and wanted to. And they told us about two weeks ago, you know, let's not do driver intro because that's going to be even harder. Because at that point in time, they didn't know if they'd have he'd have a game that afternoon. Uh, so it's just been sort of a 
you know, just holding your breath, hoping everything worked out for Shaq. And, and unfortunately, that the timing just got us. Okay, and then the other one, and this is maybe more of a, a IndyCar specific question, but could you walk us through how the red flag decision get, gets made if you are involved or, or know how that gets made? Well, it really does get made by IndyCar, but generally, I think what happens is when, especially when you're, you know, if, when you're um, close to the end of the race for the 500, I think we all agree. Uh, internally, and I think most of our fans agree too that that the 500 miles, it, it, the it, the integrity of 500 miles is really important. So a green white checkered thing feels kind of hokey to us for the Indianapolis 500. But we do want to do everything we can to end the race under green or as close to under green as we can. So in race control, when something happens, um, the, the Jay and the team make a decision. Go down. We can we can go to a red flag. And, and get the things cleaned up and then, and then time to go back and, and get this race started and get to the finish. So it's really a game time decision that, that Jay and the team make inside of, uh, inside of race control. And, you know, we doing everything we can to have a, have a finish under, under green if we can, because that's, you know, what the fans want. But at the same time, I, I don't want to get to a situation where it's a green, white checker. The Indy 500 should just always be 500 miles. Doug, I've been really worried since carb day. Because we were doing our show, as you know, in the Pagoda Plaza, and a listener, very kindly and very much appreciated, uh, brought up a beer that we had been talking about. And, and so I had it sitting in front of me, and then Mark Miles walked by and asked if I was drinking, and then I got paranoid that I'm going to get fired. Can, can you can you let him know that that I was not actually drinking? While you were I was... really nervous about that. <laughs> totally, I still am. Yeah. Can you can you can you help? It me was out all there, me, Doug. Doug. <laughs> can can you help me out, Doug? Yeah, well, so uh, here's here's what you can say if somebody comes and tries to give you a hard time. So I was on a, on another radio uh, station with one of your one of our local sports guys um, on Carb Day myself. Uh, the on track was over, and I actually uh, sat down and and did drink a beer while on the air. <laughs> so, We're all good now, but I but I had network uh, obligations as well afterwards, right? So here's, here's the question. So so the question. So uh, my, if. <laughs> Well, I had obligations too. I had to still work with a snake pit, get people in and out. But I, I felt like you know, one Miller Light wasn't going to be a problem. And then I always figured if some, if I did save into the crowd there, I said hopefully Roger doesn't walk by. Um, but my, <laughs> but but my excuse would be it's you know there Miller is a is a partner of ours, so I was going to just say I was doing some partner support. So. That's fair. That that see, that's fair. So I, I don't have that out. But um, <laughs> lastly, Doug, let me say this. I, you know, I've made a lot of this. I, I, I've probably beaten this dead horse too often, but it's a good barometer. I had the seven guys from Australia that were here, and yep. I asked them last night after the fact. Matter of fact, I videotaped it. I said, "What was your reaction?" And they were totally overwhelmed by the tribute to our military which i found interesting because they're not american but they said that that was an incredibly powerful thing that they had the highest appreciation for they were like that it was the greatest truly the greatest spectacle they'd ever seen and they did not they couldn't grasp the enormity but more so they said the thing they loved the most was the friendliness and the overwhelming welcome they felt at the indianapolis motor speedway so i thought i'd pass that along yeah, I appreciate that, and and you know we all joke about yellow shirts and whistles and all that because back in the day, as you and I know, that was what what they did. Um, you know, I tell our yellow shirt team here that they're they're oftentimes uh, on usually 
they're the only interaction that a customer has with somebody that actually is the Speedway, right? And so we expect them to be helpful and friendly, and, and they're there to make sure people stay safe. More importantly, they're there to make sure people you know what's know what's going on, where to go, and just to be really to be really helpful. And and so I do think the culture of the way we yeah. interact with our fans has, has uh, changed, and I'm glad to hear that that people are seeing that. Doug Bowles, president of Speedway, has been with us every single Monday here in the month of May. Doug, I know it's not necessarily a sigh of relief just yet for you, but hopefully a little bit of quiet time, quiet-ish time. I know you got certainly a lot of events the rest of the summer, but thank you for all your candor here over the last month. Well, thanks for having me, guys, and uh, we'll look forward to doing this all again in 362 days. Start the countdown. Cannot wait. Thanks, Doug. (laughs) All right. Thanks, guys.